0: Hello and welcome to the Heart of the Piano podcast where we are as always exploring the world of piano. Uh, I'm Bob Rose and today we are looking at the number three psychological skill you need to practice at the piano to be deeply musical. In a way really I think I'd forgotten about this one when I was making my list of podcast episodes. This really should have been number two I think so uh, but number three yeah you know this is pretty important. Now before I tell you what it is and, you know, give you the spoiler. Um, Let's have a look at some of the most common problems that we have as pianists. And, um, you know, we all go through this. It doesn't matter who you are on the planet. We have some elements of this. We have some elements that when we're practicing sometimes, some of us more than others, but we, we all have this sometimes, there'll be a feeling of oh my god, what if I'm not good enough? <laughs> I'm I'm rubbish. Um, someone would be listening and going, oh my god, that's dreadful. Our inner critic is is going crazy, going, well, that's rubbish, that's rubbish, that's rubbish. I'm sure that, that we all have an idea about this. You know, before I sort of say exactly the, the skill is, and in many ways, it's a very simple skill, and thing to practice. And it's also an incredibly complicated and difficult thing to practice. It sort of depends how you look at it. One thing that can help us is to basically to to get to know our enemy, to, to get to know what the problem is, to become mindful about it, if you want to put it that way. Um, now, I know that sometimes when I'm practicing, and this will be at its worst, if I'm learning something like, let's say, a Chopin Etude, where kind of in many ways. It's almost impossible, I think, in my my experience. It's very difficult to learn something like a Chopin Etude without immediately thinking about how people are going to be judging you playing it and about how good your technique is. And you're going to be comparing yourself to all the other millions of pianists who've played it before you and who are playing it alongside you. It's sort of, it's something that immediately places you Uh, in comparison with your peers, uh, as it were. It's just instant comparisons, instant judgment, instant self-judgment. And so what does that feel like for me if I'm learning something like that and I'm in the grip of all of this self-judgment? And sort of, uh, I very often ask my students this in the middle of a lesson. And um, almost invariably, without any kind of um, prompting for me, without sort of any hints as to what I think it might be, Everyone says that it's basically a tightening in the chest, sometimes in the stomach, but but almost always in the chest. There's like um yeah, a feeling of like like a like a hand closing into a fist, something in the chest, and and that's the sort of the very first, most superficial way that we recognise what this feeling is. And the moment we feel that, the what we normally want to do is um, just try harder, strive. We want to push that feeling down because it's not a very pleasant feeling. It's in many ways quite an unpleasant feeling. So we don't want to feel it. And what happens is we just disappear straight into our heads. Our necks go forwards, our shoulders go up and and, and they round and, and our whole body goes into like fight flight mode. And we just become like, it, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? It's uh, uh, yeah, everything feels very compulsive all of a sudden. We get very impatient, we get tense, our fingers get more tense, we we play faster. Uh, you know, I'm sure you all know what this feels like, except you may actually not have taken the time to go, oh, this is what I'm experiencing in the moment. Um, normally, it just takes us over and we just blindly react to that feeling and believe basically our left brain hemisphere, which is in charge in that moment, that what we need is just to focus harder. We need to focus in a more narrow way. We need to basically stare harder at what we're doing. We, We just have to do it more, faster, harder, and that's going to be the way to get ourselves out of that. I'm sure we all know what it feels like to practice in that state of mind, and it all comes uh in in my opinion from this sort of very core cool, sneaky feeling that gets in there before any of that happens, which basically goes, what if I'm not good enough? <laughs> and that is like a, a, a deep feeling in the in the chest, in the heart, which which is I think almost related to shame. It's like, is there something wrong with me? There's all these other amazing musicians and oh God, they're all better than me. (laughs) And what if I'm just not good enough? What if I just don't have what it takes? And it's very sneaky because in many ways, it's in sometimes it's not even mental thoughts. These aren't even thoughts with words or with labeling. It's just a feeling. It's a feeling in the, in the heart and, and we don't want to feel it. So we just immediately shut it down and, and just immediately just go into compulsive, like a, like a hamster on a hamster wheel, just go harder, go harder, round and round and round and round, you know, repeat it more times, you know, play from beginning to end. And it doesn't work. It just absolutely doesn't work. Um, and then it gets worse when we want to perform in front of people. I'm sure we all know what nerves feel like um, when we get in front of people and perform, but sometimes sometimes it's worse than other times. And, uh, you know, we'd, we're just focusing on everything that's wrong with us, everything that the audience is going to know is just wrong with our play. Uh, anyway, you know, I can go on and on, but I'm, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about because we all experience it. It's just so common. So um, something that I realised very intuitively, um, but but also very consciously, it was like consciously and intuitive. When I was, I think, some something around the age of 10, 11 or 12, you know, when you're sort of starting to, grow up a bit and start to get self-conscious. And um, I I just sort of started having these really strong intuitive realizations that um, if I wasn't careful when I'm practicing and performing at the piano, it's so easy to get sucked compulsively into a state of mind where you're just thinking about everyone who's better than you. And because they're better than you, you are worthless. (laughs) And what's the point? And uh, you're thinking about all the people who might possibly exist, or who do exist, who you give the power because you hold them up in high esteem. You think, oh, they're really good musicians, or oh, they're my teacher, or in some way you, you look up to them as someone who's better than you. And then you invest in them the power to be able to point at you and go, you're not good enough. That was rubbish. And really, that is a power that we give away. And, uh, and you know, I was very, very fortunate. I just made this this sort of very intuitive but conscious realization uh, as a youngster that, that I knew what this felt like in my body. I, kn- I knew what it felt like in my body, uh, that sense of, oh, my God, um, what if I'm not good enough? And that sense of comparison, and I guess it 's something almost like shame it 's not quite shame, but it, but it 's something similar that that you 're just somehow deficient you 're just you know uh, not enough right and I realized that every single moment that I was at the piano or the, or at the instrument because i I also learned violin at the time, and then I learned electric guitar, played viola, you know learned, learned lots of instruments, but I realized that every moment that I was at an instrument. I could practice, and here it is, here is the number three skill. I could practice the physical sensation and mental sort of headspace that everything that I did was fundamentally good enough. And this is powerful. I mean, so powerful. Now, with a lot of these kinds of psychological things, and, you know, there's a lot of parallels between this and a lot of Buddhism, and I'm going to come to that later. But the really important thing with this is that it's not enough just to sort of think this as thoughts with with words in the logical brain. This isn't a logical thing to kind of have as a, not a mantra, what's the word I'm looking for? Like something that you say over and over again to persuade yourself that it's true. Uh, that, that It's just gone straight out of my head. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. But, you know, that's not what it is. What it is, is you have to feel it in your body. I'm sure that, like you know don't do this very carefully i don't want to traumatize people <laughs> so you know like uh you know tread carefully with this but um you know if you're comfortable think of maybe something that someone could say to you that would just make you immediately just feel really bad about yourself but be be kind to yourself you know don't don't, don't you know just bear in mind this is just an exercise what is something that someone could say to you that would just make you feel really small and really kind of shamed, you know, and then think, what does your body feel like? Where do you feel that? How does your posture change? You know, imagine someone else and they're they're being told you're just worthless. And imagine what their body looks like if they believe it, like the chest sinks the, the, sh- the, the shoulders slump, the head goes down, you stare down. And, and th- there's this feeling of just compressing the heart, compressing the chest. And it's like, oh, I know, I'm just worthless. It's like, a you know, almost like sort of depression kind of, kind of feeling. Um, but, you know, it, it is a physical sensation. It's not just thoughts. The, these aren't just things in the brain. We feel these things in our body. So the opposite is true. You know now we're going to do the opposite imagine someone who you look up to a hero of yours or someone who who you love or you know who really deeply loves you and they say you're awesome you're an amazing human being you did that brilliantly you're so lovable you're amazing and think about now how your body feels in in that instance it's like there's just a a, a, you have more spaciousness in your chest your whole posture changes, but there are specifically feelings that you have really in your chest area and to some degree in in your stomach. And I think that it's possible to sort of become aware at any given moment when you're practicing the piano, fundamentally deep down, what are you feeling? (laughs) Are you feeling somewhere in the direction of, (laughs) I'm worthless. And and bearing in mind that sometimes when we have that feeling, we just we don't want to acknowledge it, and so we we bury it, we we um, we basically shut it down, we we tense we tense up so that we don't feel it, and then sort of pretend that we're amazing. And uh, you know, I'm going to talk about self esteem in a minute because this is sort of like going in the direction of what self esteem is. We have to sort of hide the parts of our personality that, that says, oh, we're no good. Uh, and, uh, and a lot of the time when we do that, we just basically disown it. We repress it. We shut it down. I think that this happens huge amount of the time. And I know it happens with me, you know, a lot of the time. You know, I've practiced this all my life. And yet sometimes I can go for weeks practicing a, a piece of music that makes me feel intimidated in some way. And I don't realize for weeks that I've had this feeling deep down underneath it all, because it's so insidious. It sneaks up in your blind spot, even when you've practiced doing this all your life. Um, So, you know, we have to be constantly um, vigilant. Vigilant is a word that gets used in Buddhism a lot. We have to be vigilant against these kinds of things. So it's not like vigilant as in sort of, oh my God, danger is round every corner. I have to be hyper alert. No, it's just more like, we we know that we have a, a sneaky enemy and we just need to keep our eyes open for it, not in a state of fear, but just like, I see you, I see you, I'm keeping my eyes open for you, I'm looking at you, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you know, step, step as with all things, you know, meditation and Zen and psychology, usually the first step to mastering something that is giving us problems to do with emotions, to do with feelings, to do with, with states of mind, one of the most useful things that you can do. Uh, and, and I guess this should be another most important skill later down the line. But number number one in, in this process towards um, basically develop the skill of always feeling good enough. The first step towards that is really curiosity. Can you be curious about it? So in other words, don't just panic and push away feelings of unworthiness, feelings of Oh, I'm rubbish. Feelings of sort of, uh, you know, all those uncomfortable, unpleasant feelings that we don't want to feel. I'm afraid to tell you that, that the, uh, the road to um, feeling good enough is to completely embrace and make friends with the feelings of not good enough. Uh, there is no getting to good enough until you've made friends with not good enough. <laughs> Sorry about that. And, and, you know, that's the problem because the moment most of us feel it, we just shut it down. And, you know, unfortunately, I was very wise. <laughs> I was very wise at an early age when it came to the piano. But unfortunately, completely rubbish in every other area of my life where I should have done the same thing. <laughs> if only, if only I'd realized I could have done this in every other area of my life. Um, the rest of my life would be amazing. <laughs> but I, I didn't make that connection, unfortunately. <laughs> so for the rest of my life, I'm plagued by, you know, not good enough. <laughs> Anyhow, so yeah, I'm afraid to tell you, step one is you have to really get curious about, well, what does it feel like when you don't feel good enough? And, and you have to absolutely be so curious that you sort of approach it like a wild animal and go, what what, what does that feel like? Where am I feeling it? And you try and approach it so that you don't startle it. Because you can't, you cannot figure out how to feel good enough until you really understand what it feels like to not be good enough. And it's very counterintuitive because most of the time we just want to run away screaming from that feeling. But, you know, trust me, the, the more you get to know what that feeling is and make friends with it, the more we can deal with it. And so something else that we can recognize is that when we feel that feeling, it's usually comes for most of us in most areas of our life with a feeling of shame where we are the only person on the planet that has this feeling of deficiency and not good enough. And that's why it, we just run away from it. We, we don't like to feel it. Um, if we can recognize that we're all human beings. We all have that core feeling somewhere deep inside of ourselves, somewhere deep in our being of like, oh my God, I'm flawed. I'm just so not worthy. We've all got it. And the more like you can go, ah, there's that same feeling that every single human being on the planet has. There's nothing wrong with me for feeling like there's something wrong with me. It's just totally normal. Then it's easier to approach it. And the more we can approach it in that way, that it's just a normal thing that we all feel. We don't have to blindly react to it, kick away from it, think there's something wrong with us and just let it be there. Then we can just get on with our lives and feel good enough because, um, in many ways, you know, when I'm practicing the art of feeling good enough, uh, and especially at my instruments and at the piano, yeah, there's always deep down this sort of somewhere, this physical, oh my God, but what if I'm not good enough? And it's like, yeah, I'm a human being. We all have that. I can ignore it. I can just, you know, just get on with it. So something that I recommend to um, all my students at some point or another to try is that I think that this sort of um, sometimes you know, I, I, there's a whole load of academics who, who are sort of trying to work out why we have this, and it, you know, you'd think that that the scientific community and the and psychologists would really understand where this has come from, but actually, I think that people are still. In the early stages of working out what this is and where it comes from and how we deal with it now i will talk about this much more in future podcast episodes and and youtube videos like actually what the science says about you know different theories of of how we deal with this but i'm just for the moment talking about this from my personal experience and my perspective about what works for me in the future we'll look at evidence-led kind of techniques for this yes so having just completely forgotten where i was going with that something that I um, usually do at some point or another with all my students, is to look at the inner critic who's going, well, that was rubbish, and well, that's no good. Because, yeah, how, why do we end up like this? One reason is that, you know, as human beings, at some point or another, we probably were told that we weren't good enough. (laughs) You know, and are are we basically, we might have misunderstood. Maybe a, a parent... At some point, like we were about to touch a hot stove or something like that. And the parent goes, no, don't do that. And then we somehow sort of mistakenly internalize, oh, there's something wrong with me because we were just shouted at, <laughs> you know. But for whatever reason or, you know, or just to, to like, um, you know, children can be quite unkind to each other and go, well, you're rubbish. You know, for whatever reasons, we, we internalize somewhere along the way, oh, uh, we're, we're not good enough. Now, something that I think really helps to just kind of put this into perspective, say we're at the piano and we're playing and we're just in a real, oh, I'm, I'm just not a good musician. Everything I'm just doing is rubbish. It's, uh, so what we can do is we can imagine that voice as an external person. And what I try and get my students to do, uh, it can feel a little bit unkind maybe, but I do think this is useful and works, is to imagine a person who you know, who you just have no respect for, who is just like, um, maybe they're a bit pompous, maybe they're a bit up themselves or or whatever, but they just, they are clearly ridiculous. They clearly have no power over you because they're just rubbish at everything. They're, They're just not commanding of any respect, So, you know, see if you can come up with someone who, or even, you know, maybe if you really don't know someone like that in your life or you don't want to be that mean to someone, think of a cartoon character who's just completely useless, right? Uh, Or a fictional character who's just so useless. And then imagine this person is stood behind you over your shoulder going, well, that's no good. And well, that's rubbish. And that, that, that wasn't very good. And you're listening to them and going, but you're rubbish. (laughs) <laughs> Why am I going to take to heart that you're telling me I'm not good enough when you are a a, a person of ridicule? Um, so, you know, it, it, I think that it helps to imagine that is your inner critic when, when you're at your instrument. And, you know, see if you can really, really use your imagination. Imagination is one of those things like a muscle that the more you practice using it, the, the clearer uh, it gets. It's, it's you know, and I, I've been experimenting with, with visualizing recently. And the more you do it, the, the more clear it does become. Uh, I, I've been doing it more with things like sight reading. But, but, you know, you can do it visually with things like a person stood over your shoulder. And, you know, you imagine um, exactly the tone of their voice. Uh, You imagine maybe even what they smell like, you know, maybe how they're dressed, you know, like really visualize it very clearly. Um, And when I say visualize it, this can be like the sound as well. And, you know, use all your senses and, you know, like they're ridiculous. How ridiculous is it that that, that this person is just telling you that you're not good enough? Uh, You just take no notice of them. So you have to bear in mind, you can't just, you know, kick them out of the room and, you know, go and shove them. For for whatever reason, they're there. You can't do anything about it. But you can just ignore them. You know, there's no point just getting angry with them. Why are you getting angry with them for? They're they're just ridiculous. So you just just ignore them, you know. Think of it as well, like um, sometimes uh, I describe it like a Like a two-year-old or a three-year-old who's pulling at your trouser leg, who wants your attention. And, you know, let's assume that this is a child who has all the love in the world and who isn't, you know, going to feel traumatized that they're being neglected and ignored. You're just like, no, I'm having a grown-up conversation just for the moment and I'm going to come back to you in a minute. But, you know, the the two-year-old or the three-year-old is tugging at your leg And maybe this two-year-old is going, well, you're rubbish. (laughs) You're like, you're a two-year-old. I'm not going to pay any attention to that. It's like that. You just tune it out. You tune it out because your mind is is on what you're playing. So this is one thing that, you know, that, that you can do with it. Now, I think that something else which is really, really useful for me is to always bear in mind Why are we making music? And this is going to tie into a previous podcast episode that I did to do with self-determination theory um, that that I did with Cheryl. Uh, And uh, there there will be links to all of these things, by the way, in the show notes at heartofthepiano.com. So, you know, why do we make music? And um, deep down, really, we make music for pleasure and for a feeling of connection. And it's either that we are connecting with the feeling in the music or with, we're connecting with the, the human being who's making the music, uh, the human being who's performing the music or who composed the music. But in some way or another, there is connection. And when we're really enjoying music at its deepest, there is this sense of connection. And, and that's why it's there. Now, we can also get dragged compulsively into the reason why we make music is to be good at it is to feel competent is to have people go wow you're good or to have people say oh you are you're good enough you know or you're not good (laughs) you know but basically you know we can do it to test ourselves to prove that that we can gain skills now i'm not saying that those reasons are necessarily bad um, I think that when I learn pieces and practice, there is some of that in there. It's okay to have that, but I think that it can become unhealthy when that dominates and we lose perspective, that it doesn't become about connection anymore. Truly, in my opinion, to be a really good musician is to be connecting. And when you think about, think about musicians who you think are amazing, and then think about anyone who might be playing an instrument and you're sort of thinking is this person a good musician or not it's not just like how technically good are they I don't think most people really say that someone is an amazing musician because they have great technique and their fingers move fast really you know a musician can just play a few notes with so much feeling and so much soul and you go they're a really good musician it's about connection and I think that it's it's sometimes when we are playing, it's very, very easy to lose sight of that. And now this is something that I believe is, is a practicable skill, that every moment that we are at our instrument, we're asking ourselves, am I in a place of competency or am I in a place of connection? Now, I'm not saying that, that you shouldn't try and be competent. Of course, we need that. But um, like I said in that episode on self-determination theory, I think that a lot of the time, um, in my experience, we can be mostly driven by a need, a hunger for the feeling of competency, or we can be driven and motivated by the, the need to feel connected. And if we're mostly being driven by the need to feel competent we're probably actually not going to be all that musical in that moment and we're actually not going to play that well you know this is very counterintuitive to so many of the people who I teach especially adults and I think especially men Uh, and by the way you know I do encourage you to go and listen to my playing on YouTube Uh, there'll be uh, a link in the uh, um, the show notes Uh, but if you want to look at my channel it is uh, Heart of the Piano on YouTube same as the podcast You know, I'm not saying I'm the the greatest pianist who ever lived. I I think I have a healthy amount of uh, modesty and humility about it. But at the same time, people do tell me that I'm good. So, you know, you might be going, well, who is this guy now, (laughs) you know, who's telling us all this information? Why should we listen to him? And, you know, to that question, I would just say, well, listen to my playing. And if you like my playing, this is how I play like that. You know, the reason why people come to me as a teacher is because they like the quality of my playing. And when I teach them, I tell them that to get that quality in your playing, it doesn't come from an emphasis on competency. It comes from an emphasis on connection. Now, at the same time, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm always working on technique and um, I'm very competitive. I'm very perfectionistic. I'm driven by all of that stuff. But at the same time, where every time I'm at an instrument, I also practice in a very, very deep way, immediately letting go of those things because I know that to be a good pianist is to overwhelmingly connect with the the hearts and souls of people, and that is what makes you good. And also, it's very counterintuitive to a lot of people, but what makes me have good technique is when my emphasis is, what am I going to say with this technique? What's the technique there for? People who focus on technique for the sake of technique are generally not good musicians and have to work unbelievably hard at that technique. But when you think about what is it that you want to express, what is it that that you want to do, you find that the technique is much more likely to just naturally come. And, you know, when it doesn't naturally come and you work at it, when you're sort of have a goal of like the deep spiritual, if you want to put it that way, it doesn't, not exactly spiritual, but in the sense of you're connecting to to people. If you know that you're using this technique to connect musically to, to other people, it's much easier to get that technique. Um, it's something I'm going to talk about in future podcasts for the moment. You're going to have to take my word for it, but uh <laughs> I don't know. It's like, um you know, think about, when you're talking. Um, you know, I, I don't think I'm the world's best um, speaker. It's not something I feel naturally good at, but there are people who are very eloquent uh, and very good at, at speaking. When someone is giving them, you know, think of Martin Luther King giving his famous speeches. You know, was he thinking a lot about grammar and technique and you know, all these kinds of things. No, he's thinking about the connection. He's thinking about how he wants to to connect with people. And it's like that with music. It, if, you're, if you're not focused on connection, it's just not going to be as good. So, you know, coming back, if, you, if you're coming from a place of not good enough, you're going to then focus more on competency than connection. And that's the wrong way around so what i found is that by practicing every moment that that i'm at my instrument i'm fundamentally good enough i automatically find it easier to to focus primarily on connection and then i've got the i'm much more likely to look at all my technical flaws without going, oh my God, I'm so bad. <laughs> I'm, I'm just look at them and go, oh, there's some technical flaws here. That's okay. Because I'm just a human being and then deal with them until, you know, I'm the best pianist that, that I can be. So it's so important, you know, when, when we feel not good enough, it, we just feel paralyzed. And, you know, it's very hard to fix our technical deficiencies when we just go, oh, I'm just not good enough. Now, another thing, I think a lot of people say to me, yeah, or, or have this, intu- they have this strong feeling, and it feels intuitive. That you know, surely if we say, "Oh, well, you know, I'm good enough," it's like, well, then we just get lazy and don't do anything. And I think that you know, it's it's tricky because sometimes this can get lost in semantics, in you know, like the words. And you know, it's really important to try and get across that this is. Very deeply a physical sensation it's something it 's an experience, and sometimes it 's hard to put this exactly into words so um i don't mean when i say i 'm good enough i don 't mean "Oh yeah, whatever that'll do, man, yeah, like yeah, you know that that 's not what I mean by good enough i don 't mean oh it's adequate, okay it'll do that is absolutely not what I mean. what I mean is is the felt sense that I have value as a human being, and that I have value as a pianist, and that my playing is lovable. That another way of putting it is my playing is lovable enough. And you know it will never be perfect. And you know it, again, this is an antidote to perfectionism. Uh, perfectionism is one of the the most unhelpful, most sort of deadly things that that we can all get drawn into. Uh, and I'm sure that you can see why perfectionism, which is Really, you know, there's a very slippery road to perfectionism, especially in classical music, because it really is about the pursuit of perfection. But you've got to be careful not to get perfectionistic about it. Um, and to, because you, you'll just get worse and worse. The only way to play at your absolute best, at your peak, to reach the fullest limits of your potential of what you can be, is to accept that you are worthy and that you are enough because the moment you think you're not enough you're just how can I put it um you you basically have a brick wall that that gets in the way between you and being able to achieve that the moment you think that you feel in your body that, that you're unworthy of that you know, I think, you know, think about it in sports and, and stuff like that. And imagine that you're going to run a race and then you start questioning yourself. Well, what if I'm not good enough to beat all these other people? I think it's it's very intuitive that obviously you're not going to win. You've got to believe in yourself. You've got to, um, you know, pump yourself up and absolutely believe that you can do it. Uh, it's It's very obvious in sports, but somehow it's sort of I I think it's tempting for people to internalise this feeling that when we're, especially sat at a piano doing classical, especially in in that field, that somehow, you know, we, we can't just sit down and go, yeah, I can do this. That, that, that because people are just going to turn around and go, well, who are you? You know, you don't deserve to be here. <laughs> it's like imposter syndrome. No, I don't care who you are. You can be so. you can be a total beginner who's just started. And the world of classical music will welcome you with open arms and go, yes, you're one of us. You're worthy. You know, even though there are Giants that there are just insane prodigies and insanely amazing people because you have to remember why do we make music? We make music to share our hearts, to connect, to enjoy. So we have to be a little bit rebellious. And yes, there probably are some snobs. There probably are some people out there who go, well, you're not good enough. And the opinions of those people do not matter. Um, and to be an amazing musician means you have to be rebellious and feel that everything you do is fundamentally good enough. Because, you know, I don't care who you are, I don't care how amazing you are, if you start playing and thinking, what if I'm not good enough? You instantly don't play as well. So hopefully I'm persuading you that, you know, this is a thing that you can practice. Now, how you practice this, <laughs> I think is really, you know, it's, it's very difficult to talk about in this particular podcast. This is something I'm going to have to talk about in future podcasts about exactly how you practice this. But what I will say is that really write this down on a post-it note, put it on the piano in front of you. I am good enough because the most important thing, really, the first place to start. Um, well, I also gave another step before, which I can't remember what it was. OK, so the number two step is basically it's got to be your intention, because I think that the way that most of my students um, practice and I think most people who are not professionals um, is basically and especially doing classical music. It's it's just a compulsion that, of course, we we just go yeah, I'm not amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not good enough, you know, but, but no, you know, like we are born musical. We are, we are basically, you know, music is our birthright as human beings. Um, And I think, you know, certainly in England, where I'm from, there's, um, I think it's, we don't have a culture where everyone sings, where everyone feels that, that music is something that anyone in the community it, it, it's their right it's their right to do and feel part of the community with but you know when you look at other cultures all over the world um, particularly not in the west its it, you know you, you find really uh, frequently a lot of cultures where yes of course everybody makes music that's what it is to be a human being um, we just have ridiculous things in our culture that start to kind of brainwash into sort of feeling that we have to feel unworthy. So you know, sometimes we just have to feel very rebellious about this and go, "I'm not going to listen to what my culture is trying to indoctrinate me with that that you know, it, that music is only for the special people who are amazing. No, we we are all musical. It's 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 the birthright of everybody, you know. And, and sometimes, you know, I can be a A a massive musical snob, I can be very fussy about what I'm listening to, but fundamentally If if I'm listening to anybody make music and they're enjoying it and they feel good enough and and they're getting deep joy from it, I will never, ever feel, oh, well, that person needs to be pulled down a peg or two. No way. No way. That's not what music is about. (laughs) I feel very passionate about that. I'm I'm almost tearing up saying that. I feel that that is such an important thing for, for people to take away from this. So anyway... Um, Something that I'm going to talk about in future podcast episodes, uh, which is very, very relevant to this, is the work of Kristen Neff. Uh, I think I've mentioned her briefly on on the podcast before. And uh, basically, she's uh, the leading academic in the field of self-compassion, which might not sound like it's very (laughs) academic subject. And it is, you know, in its infancy, a lot of this stuff. But her work is amazing because it's so rigorous. It's very, very rigorous work that looks at Things like self-esteem, narcissism, uh, self-compassion, and looks at hard, hard uh, data and um, results about how the development of self-compassion as a practice and as a skill actually makes difference to how we perform at things, how we feel about ourselves. And so this is something that I'm going to, I think, spend quite a lot of time with in future episodes. So I'm just going to read you some stuff that um, uh, Kristen Neff has has written. Uh, This is from her website. There'll be a link to this below. Uh, The great angst of modern life is this. No matter how hard we try, no matter how successful we are, no matter how good a parent, worker or spouse we are, it's never enough. There is always someone richer, thinner, smarter, or more powerful, someone that makes us feel small in comparison. Failure of any kind, large or small, is unacceptable. (laughs) And this is, this is so relevant because this is, you know, exactly, you know, now I've only sort of recently, um, well, in fact, all this research has only recently come out in recent years. This wasn't, this certainly wasn't around when I was sort of practicing, I'm good enough. But, you know, this is exactly the, the kind of thing that Kristin Neff is talking about, that the opposite of I feel good enough is like, no, there's, there's always people better than me. I'm not good enough. Um, and, you know, something else, uh, I, something that I think is very, very common in, in so many of my students is that if they're performing and they make a mistake, it's like, oh, well, that's all rubbish. That That was pointless. I'm rubbish. No, you know, we're allowed to make mistakes when we perform. Some of the, you know, like I go uh, frequently to see um, the the world's best pianists in in performance and they all make mistakes. You know, that being a good musician is not about not making mistakes. It's about connection, seriously. Anyway, so um, she also goes on to say, one response has come in the form of the self-esteem movement. So the pursuit of high self-esteem has become a virtual religion, but research indicates this has serious downsides. Our culture has become so competitive, we need to feel special and above average just to feel okay about ourselves. So most people feel compelled to create what psychologists call a self-enhancement bias, puffing ourselves and putting others down so that we can feel superior in comparison. Um, However, this constant need to feel better than our fellow human beings leads to a sense of isolation and separation. And then once you've gotten high self-esteem, how do you keep it? It's an emotional roller coaster ride. Our, self of, uh, our sense of self-worth bounces around like a ping pong ball, rising and falling in lockstep with our latest success or failure. And yes, you know, I, I think that um, if we're not careful uh, and we start going, oh, I can play this piece or I can play this bar and now I can't play this bar. I can play it at home. I play in front of people. Oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm really bad again. We, we have to figure out... No matter what we do, we're always good enough because when we don't feel good enough and we're always sort of going, ah, I can play this. I can't play that. It's just um, it's just absolutely toxic. This this constant up, down, up, down, up, down. It's you know, it's very useful for that. Uh, And then she goes on, one of the most insidious consequences of the self-esteem movement over the last couple of decades is the narcissism epidemic. Now, I'm not going to talk that much about that, but this is, I think, what I was trying to get at in the episode, um, a few episodes ago for this podcast, where I did it on narcissism. And I really wish that I hadn't done that episode because I really wasn't ready for it. But I think that, you know, um, Kristen Neff is basically making this connection that, we uh, feel inadequate and like we're not enough, so we need self-esteem. And then the extreme of that is narcissism. And narcissism is sort of like the extreme reaction to the the threat of just not feeling good enough. So then she goes on in in another paragraph, of course, we don't want to suffer from low self-esteem either. So what's the alternative? There is another way to feel good about ourselves, self-compassion. Self compassion involves being kind to ourselves when life goes uh, awry, or we notice something about ourselves we don't like, and so on and so on. Anyway, uh, I can feel myself sort of getting drawn into this, but I'm I'm going to make this for a for a future podcast episode. But I do think that this is one very very practical. Things that, that we can do that we can practice, and Kristen Neff is sort of uh, you know, it's not just yeah, just have self compassion. She, in her book, uh, and there'll be a link to her book below, uh, and she's also done a workbook, um, uh, that, that you can buy. Um, so she's broken it down into specific skills and specific things that you can do, and uh, and she's also created guided meditations and you know, all kinds of stuff, and uh, Um, yeah, so yeah, I'm going to talk about this in a future episode, but, but, you know, there are, there are very practical, very solid things that you can do with this that I'm not going to go into in this episode, but for the time being, yes, this was it. Step number one, make friends with your sense of not good enough. Don't just run away from it. Give it compassion. And by compassion, it doesn't mean wallow in it. It doesn't mean let yourself believe it. You know, it, it basically means let yourself be curious about the sensations. Realize that as human beings, we all have this sensation. And be kind to yourself, <laughs> but, but which basically means don't just blindly react to that feeling and, and just go, yeah, I am rubbish. Yeah, I'm just not good enough. Be like, you know, be like, treat it like a child who's going, I'm just rubbish, I'm just no good. And you, you give them a hug and you go, no, it's okay, you're okay. You you, you know, you find, start to sort of think about and reflect. How can you do that with yourself, with with your feeling of, of not good enough? Because we all have it. And if you don't have it, if you really feel, I don't have that, then you're just not um, aware of it, <laughs> I think. Um, because, you know, almost any time, that we're at the piano and we're hunched forwards and we're in a tight, narrow focus and our bodies are tense and our shoulders are tense and we're impatient, I can bet you that underneath all of that is not good enough. And that's, that's why all that other stuff just gets piled on top of it. I can absolutely bet you that. To get to a, a way of playing that is just absolutely at ease, that is just effortless, that's like magic, that's just, you know, full of heart somewhere to get there you're going to have to come across the demon of not good enough because it's only through that that you get to that deep level of of pure relaxation and essence of being <laughs> um if i you know that sounds a bit spiritual but, but it's totally true it's like i say that from my own like physical felt experience uh anyway i've been waffling a lot but you know this is something i feel very very passionately about as as, as you might have gathered so um anyway Um, I hope you enjoyed this podcast and, uh, you know, if you uh, enjoyed this episode and other episodes, it would really help the the podcast if you could subscribe and like and all those kinds of things because I put so much time and energy into the podcast and it would be lovely to um, have as many people listen to it as possible. You know, I like to help people with this and and the more likes and subscriptions there are, the more people are going to come across it. And uh, also at the moment, if uh, for anybody who's interested in having me as a teacher, uh, I, I do have availability for online students and uh, I don't just teach uh, all of the psychological stuff. I do teach, uh, you know, all the rigorous do this, do that. You know, for anyone who's interested in me as a teacher, you can check out my YouTube channel, which is Heart of the Piano um, on YouTube. Uh, you can also look at my website, of the piano.com, and on YouTube, I have loads and loads of, of detailed tutorials. Uh, a lot of them are on um, uh, ABRSM grade exam pieces, but you can kind of look at them to get in the a feel for what kind of teacher I am and actually most of those tutorials have nothing to do with psychology um, at the moment what I've done is the podcast is for psychology and YouTube is more of like for nitty-gritty sort of actual tutorial stuff I, I really need to sort of um, have more crossover but anyway so thank you very much for tuning in um, and I'll see you at the next podcast so thank you very much for listening all the way through and I'll let you go do some practice now so take care bye